We are in 1 John chapter 4. Take your Bibles there, if you will. 1 John chapter 4. We looked at verses 1 through 6 last Wednesday, and we got through verse 1. So uh, today we're looking at verses 2 through 6, and my goal is to get through these five verses. We're going to start reading in verse 2. Since we've already done verse 1, here we go, verse 2. Hereby know we the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world." Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. We're going to jump right into the study today. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts from your word. Give us a truth that would be helpful to us and help us to clearly understand how to try the spirits. Lord, we know that John the Apostle was used of the Holy Spirit of God to confront uh, a problem in his day of false teachers and false prophets. And Lord, we know that that has been in every year of Christianity, even to our own day. And we know it's going to wax worse and worse. The Bible tells us about that. But Father, I pray we'll be rooted and grounded in the truth. That we will be able to know the Spirit of God from the Spirit of error. And I pray, dear Father, you'll help us to constantly back up everything we believe with the Word of God. And I pray that you'll meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we're looking at trying the Spirit, because that's what verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. And we talked about that last Wednesday and dealt with all the different aspects of that, how to try those spirits. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see three contrasts that are mentioned. And I want to start by just going over these contrasts, and then I'm going to back up and start at verse 2 and just go through verse 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 and give a little background and a little um, opinions of different theologians on exactly what he's saying and why he's saying that. But let's look at the contrast, first of all, when it comes to trying the spirits. The first set of contrast is found in verse 2. In fact, if you have a pen, you might want to circle that contrast. The first one is we see what is of God, and that is the spirit that agrees that Christ has come in the flesh. Notice in verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And so that's what you should circle right there, of God. 
Now let's look at verse 3 and see the contrast. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is, and there's the circle, not of God. So verse 1 tells us those who, uh, verse 2 tells us those who are of God. Verse 3 tells us those who are not of God. So that's pretty simple, isn't it? So how do you know the difference then? Well, those who are of God says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Those who are not of God uh, say that Jesus has not come in the flesh. And so that's what he's pointing out there. The difference is, and that's the contrast. So verse 2 is those who are of God, because they believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And we'll talk just a moment about what that means, because even false believers believe he came in the flesh. But I'll share with you what that literally means. And then in verse 3, we see that those who are not of God is that spirit that does not agree that Christ came in the flesh. Now, remember, verse 1 said, try the spirit. So we have one spirit in verse 2. That's the Holy Spirit that says Christ came in the flesh. That's what the Word of God says. Uh, But we have another spirit, and that comes from the prince and the power of this earth, the devil himself and his forces, that says Jesus did not come in the flesh. And that those group and those teachers are not of God. So that's the first contrast. The second contrast it will be found in verse 5 and verse 6. And I'm going to come back to verse 4. So the second set of contrasts in verse 5, we see that which is of, of the world. Notice verse 5. They are... And circle that of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. But in verse 6, the contrast are those who are of God. So in verse 5, we have those who are of the world. In verse 6, we have those who are of God. They are diametrically opposed to each other. And... uh We see that those who are of the world are the ones who speak of the world and the world heareth them. Now, why does that, why does the world hear them? Because that's what the world wants to hear. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So there's a reason they want to listen to the world because they agree with the world. They harmonize with the world. Why do they harmonize with the world? They do not have the Spirit of God in them. When we got saved and the Spirit of God took residence in us, that very moment we trusted Christ as our Savior, all of a sudden, we are opposed to the world, not that we're fighting with the world, but we are against what they believe because they believe in the Spirit of Antichrist, that which is against Christ. Now, in verse 6, we see those who are of God. Notice it. We are of God. You can circle those two words. He that knoweth God heareth us. 
He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So those who are of God, those are the ones that God, we, that know that God hears us. Who is not of God does not hear those who are sent by God. Heareth us not. John is not just referring to him not being heard if people are not of God or of the world. He's saying they do not hear the leader, uh, the teachers and the prophets and the apostles that came from God. They don't listen to them. Now, how do you know they came from God? Because you compare spiritual with spiritual. You compare what they say with the word of God, and it has to match up. And so they're speaking for God if they're speaking his word. Now, the third set of contrasts, we'll go back to verse 4. And in verse 4, we see the contrast of victory of those who are of God, overcomers who are not of God. Okay, in verse 4, we are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, so we have those who are of God and those who are in the world. And the Bible says those who are of God will overcome those who are in the world. Now, how does that happen? Is because we're stronger, we're wiser. Uh, does it mean we become super spiritual when we get saved? No. Here's why we overcome them, because greater the Spirit of God, who indwells us, is greater. He that is in us, the Spirit of God, is greater than he that is in, of the world. So, the Spirit of God is greater than the Spirit of man, or the Spirit of error, or the Spirit of the devil, or Satan himself. So, remember the whole context, verses 1 through 6, is try the spirits. So, when we have the Spirit of God in us, God is going to make us overcomers. Not because we're, you know, we have always have the full armor of God. We're to have that. We don't always have that. You ever leave home and you forgot your shield? The shield is the Word of God. You didn't get to read the Bible that morning. What happened? You left without your shield. Uh, uh, no, no, your faith. Uh, the sword of the Spirit. So how are you going to do battle against the devil during the day when you didn't read any of God's Word that morning? You left without your sword. You don't want to just have your shield you, you want to do battle spiritually, spiritually. You're battling. We battle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers of this uh, of darkness. So that's all that we're dealing with. So in this passage, we see the contrast of victory. Those who are of God overcomers, those who are not of God. Those of God overcome those who are of the world. And the reason is that greater is he that is in us, the Holy Spirit of God, than he that is in those of the world, the God of this world, or Satan or the devil himself. Because God is the superior spirit. 
he easily overcomes the much lesser spirit of the devil who's a spiritual being, but he's not, he's not infinite. He, he's not all powerful. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He, he is a created being by God. He was the leader of the angels at one time. He was the angel over the throne of God at one time. But he has nowhere near infinitesimal power compared to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So in these, it starts off, I want to start off showing the three contrasts. Those who are of God, those who are not of God. Uh, those who are of the world, uh, those who are of God. And praise God, we're not of the world. Remember, uh, the Bible says we are in the world, but we are not what? Of the world. So we're in here, but we're not of here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. A Christian is not to have deep roots in this world because this is just temporary. This is not our eternal home. We are living for an eternal home forever in the heavens. So in these uh, verses, verse 2 through 6, we saw three contrasts. Now I want us to back up and go through verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 by themselves. And we'll be through with this passage here uh, tonight. Verse 2, again, Hereby know we the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now by every spirit, the implication is that everyone professing to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And the apostle uses this word spirit, and notice it's not a capital. He's not saying under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's just using the word spirit as uh, relating the fact that anyone who teaches spiritual things is under a spirit, either the Holy Spirit or the spirit of error or the spirit of Antichrist. So it's one or the other. And they aren't opposite ends of the pole. So the apostle uses that word spirit with a reference for the people who made the claim on the supposition that everyone professing to be a religious teacher was animated and led and directed by some spirit or foreign influence, good or bad. See, you, you and I are animated by the Spirit of God. We are directed by the Spirit of God. We are controlled by the Spirit of God. You, you ever have the Holy Spirit of God uh, tell you to do something uh, to, to help someone else, and, and you don't even know the people? And you just saw a situation, and the Spirit of God says, go help them. And you think, well, where'd that come from? That didn't come from me. That came from the Spirit of God. He controls us. He animates us. He helps us to uh, uh, be kind and encouraging. Uh, just before the church, I was just walking through the foyer, and I, I saw some of the teenagers, and I, w- I w- just took the time to say, you know, I really appreciate you. I said, I see you singing in the choir. I met one young lady 
And I said, what's your name? And she told me, I said, I just noticed you started singing in the teen choir and you're doing an awesome job. Boy, I appreciate you. And I was talking to another girl and telling her uh, what a great job she was doing. She was just grinning real big. And then I'm sitting here and I'm looking at other teenagers and I'm thinking, I'm going to look them up and tell them they're doing an awesome job. Well, where do we get that? I don't necessarily think it's my job to, you know, take a piece of paper and write down who's singing, who's not. But the Spirit of God will say, encourage that person. Do something nice for them. Be kind to them. You know, everyone needs encouragement in this world in which we live. I saw a couple who's uh, in uh, Brother Justin's and both their girls sing here. And uh, I was saying, you know, I'm so proud of y'all. God is really doing something in your house. And your home is so different and blessed. And wow, everyone in your family is being a blessing That's wonderful. And you know, that's the way we need to be. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God, that he moves us, he speaks things through us that we wouldn't be saying normally. We don't go down Walmart and say, you sure are a blessing. We don't normally do that. Unless someone's whistling or smiling, you might say, boy, you're encouraging. That's wonderful. You got a happy spirit today. So, Let's be led by the Spirit of God. Now, the supposition is every one of us are animated, good or bad. If the Spirit of God influences them, then they would confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. If some other spirit, the spirit of error or deceit, they would deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, when it says, he that confesseth, It's not just a statement like, yeah, I believe Jesus. It is not just saying words like that. It's the sense that they are true Christians because they believe that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And that is one of the central doctrines we must believe in order to be Christians. Now, let's talk about what that means. Jesus Christ comes in the flesh. The thing denied does not appear to have been that Jesus was the Messiah. For their pretending to be Christian teachers all implied and admitted to this. Even false teachers would say, yes, he's the Messiah. But the Son of God being really man, that's where false doctrine and false cults mess up every single time. That Jesus Christ was in fact God in flesh. So when they say uh, the Spirit of God says Jesus was not in the flesh, what they mean is God was not in the flesh. And that's false doctrine. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's Jesus Christ. And that is... uh, The incarnation, that's the miracle of Christmas, the incarnation, God coming in human form and living among us, Uh, not just, I, I said that wrong, not just in human form, coming as human. So 100% God and yet 100% man. I think sometimes I mess up saying the form of a man, no, he's man. And that's 
theologically accurate. 100% deity, 100% humanity. And so uh, the actually assume that the human nature is permanent union with the divine in Jesus Christ. So the point of the remark about God being in flesh or Christ being in flesh, he's acknowledging that Christ assumed human nature, that he was really a man as he appeared to be, or that there was a and that there was a real incarnation in opposed to the opinion that he came in appearance only or that he merely seemed to be a man and to suffer and die. So there are those false doctrines will say he, he looked like he was a man, but it was just a presentation of God. It was not really God in flesh. It was just God manifesting himself uh, so that people could see an image. If he was not truly a man, he did not literally shed his blood on the cross. And of course, all that was done was in appearance only. And the whole system of redemption as revealed was merely a splendid illusion. And we know that's not true. He's God in flesh. He's of God. In verse 3, it says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And every spirit that confesseth not. Now, this doctrine is essential to the Christian system. It is basic to Christianity. God in flesh, Jesus becoming man, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Whoever does not hold or regard the reality of Christ's humanity and deity coming together in Christ cannot be a Christian if he does not believe this essential truth. Because if you're placing faith in a Jesus that's not God, then if he's not God, he's not infinite. If he's not infinite, he cannot die for all. You see, that's so essential, and that's why it's so important that Jesus was born of a virgin, and that's why Jesus was the sinless Son of God. And he was God in flesh. Because if I went down to um, Clackamas County Jail and I had a good uh, spirit uh, around Christmas and I wanted to be a blessing to others and I went down there and if it were possible, I would go and say, uh, you know, I want to pick one of the inmates here and I'm going to let him go and I'm going to serve his time. And I would be careful to make sure where I go there because there's one section where they go for under a year and there's another section for those over a year and older. And I would go to those under a year and I'll serve their time. And then they said, well, you sure you want to do that? And I said, okay, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I don't have really anything tied up. I'm semi-retired now as a pastor 
And so uh, I, I could do that and spend a few months here. And they said, okay, who do you want to pick? Uh, well, is anyone here for like a month? Uh, yeah, there's some for just overnight. Oh, I'll take him. Uh, no. And then I said, you know, I'm in a really good mood. I'd like to really let everyone go and I'll serve all their time. And they start adding that up and say, well, wait a minute, that'd be like 55 years. And I said, well, yeah, I'll, I just feel in a good mood. I'm just going to take up all their time. And they say, uh, how old are you? I said, well, I just turned 68. And, and you want to take 50 years. Yeah, I feel in a good mood. I'd like to do it. It's around Christmas. I want to be a blessing to others. And they say, well, sir, that's, that's not humanly possible. Honestly, you don't, you don't have 50 good years in you. <laughs> well, thanks for telling me. Okay. Um, they'd say that wouldn't be possible. Now, imagine then if I tried to pay for the sin of the world when I, as a sinful creature, can't even pay for my own sin. But Jesus could because he's God in flesh. He was the sinless sacrifice, and because he was God, he could take the... By the way, if you die in your sins, how long do you go to hell? Forever? So if I, if I took your place, I'd have to go to hell forever. Now, how could I die for two people? How could I go to hell for two people when one person's debt is forever? How do you add forever to forever? See, I can't do that. But Jesus can because he's infinite. And he can soak up in time what it would take you and I eternity to pay for. And he bore all of our sin on himself on the cross. And for those three hours he hung there and he was separated from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit turned the back on God the Son because God is of pure eyes to behold evil, the Bible says. And so they turned their back. By the way, remember it was darkness? There was no light during that time. It was dark in that time. Because God, who is the source of light, turns his back from God the Son. Because God the Son, who himself is light, became darkness, the sin of the darkness of sin for all humanity. The suffering was not the crucifixion. It was not the plucking of the beard. It was not the crown of thorns. It was not the brutal beating. It was that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And Christ bore the wickedest sin man has ever done. And not just the wickedest sin, all the sin of humanity, and he paid for it in full because he's God in flesh. In, his, in Isaiah, it talks about his death, and that is in a plural infinitive. It means his death, his death, his death, his death, his death. He died for every single person. 
He paid it full. He didn't just taste death. He consumed it for every single person. That's why when we place faith in Christ, we're redeemed and we get to go to heaven forever because our penalty has been paid. Well, well, yeah, but, you know, a week from now, I may mess up again. Yeah, but he paid for the sin of your life on Calvary. It was not man then that occurred in this life in Gethsemane and on the cross uh, if it was an appearance only, there was no real suffering, no shedding of blood, there was no death on the cross, and of course there was no atonement. And there are cults that believe that Jesus came spiritually. There are cults that would say Jesus rose from the dead spiritually, but not bodily. And Jesus not only had a bodily life, he had a bodily death and a bodily resurrection. Those who oppose that is the spirit of Antichrist. And in this verse, he's not talking about the Antichrist, which we see in the book of uh, Revelation. He's talking about the spirit of Antichrist, which is every false teacher that's ever been in the history of Christianity, everyone that opposes the truth of the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ being 100% at the same time. So it's talking about a class of people who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So that's what verse 3 is telling us. In verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now it says, Ye are of God. You're in his family. You've embraced this truth of uh, fundamental truth of doctrine about Christianity and about Christ and who he is and what he did. And little children, again, referring to those who are saved, who have received the truth of Jesus Christ and have overcome them. It means they have triumphed over their uh, arts and temptations, their endeavors to draw you into that error of sin. The word then is placed, seemed to refer to the false prophets or teachers who collectively constitute uh, make up Antichrist. The meaning is that they had thwarted all their attempts to turn them away from the truth. So he says, you've overcome them. You stood fast. It doesn't mean you've never resisted, uh, you've resisted all temptation. It's not saying that. It says you resisted the error of those who would say that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh and is not God in flesh, not deity in flesh. And if you examine almost any cult, you're going to find they're at error when it comes to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you get the person of the Lord Jesus Christ wrong, you could never be right on salvation. If he's just a created being who God created, who uh, created for the purpose to die for the sins, then we've got Christ wrong. 
because as a created being, he's just like an angel. It would not have helped us if 10,000 angels died for us or if our own guardian angel died for us on Calvary. It would not have been enough because he never assumed us and the human personality and never became human like Jesus Christ did, God in flesh. And so over and over we see that spirit of Antichrist mentioned in these verses. And then I love that phrase, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And again, I want to iterate that it's not by our power. It's not because we've been well taught. We've been discipled. Uh, I read my Bible a lot. So therefore, I have the strength here. He's saying that God who dwells in your hearts and whose strength and grace alone has enabled you to achieve this victory. This is more mighty than Satan, who rules the heart of the people of the world, whose seductive arts are seen in the efforts of these false teachers. The apostle is meant to say that it was by no power of our own that we achieved this victory, But it was to be traced solely to the fact that God dwelt among them and had preserved them by his grace. And by the way, brethren, what was true then is also true today. John says, you have overcome them, and so have we. And not because we're so strong, but because the spirit of the living God indwells us. And God is greater than the spirit of this world and all the forces of darkness and the devil and Satan and all of his angels and all the uh, tempters and false prophets and false teachers. Though they abound, we still are overcomers because of who lives in us. When you trust, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And when you place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you got connected by God eternally, eternally. You started a relationship with Jesus Christ that will never, ever die, never diminish. Now you might say, well, yeah, but I'm not the, I'm not the Christian I ought to be. Well, I understand that. And I don't think there's any Christian that is. I was uh, mentioning to my wife how I, uh, I was listening to, uh, I've been listening to uh, uh, an audible about the life of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It's in two volumes. It's on audible. Each, each uh, volume is 16 hours of, of reading a book. And that's volume one. Then 16 more hours, that's volume two. And here's how Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and they get this mostly from his diary. So here's what he's saying. Uh, On one day he said, this has been a blessed day. Me and the Lord have been as one. Every thought that has come into my mind has been pleasing to the Lord as far as I know. And I have felt like I dwell in heaven, though my feet are on earth. Two days later. This has been a sad day. I cannot feel God's presence anywhere. I don't know if I'm even his child. Uh, 
this has been a challenging day. And that's how his diary goes. I'm so glad I'm his child. And then I feel so lost. I feel so separated. God, help me be a Christian that is worthy of your grace. And then the next day, oh, to praise God for his grace, that he could save such a miserable sinner as I. And I said to Miss Vicky, I said, isn't that interesting that people that you would think would be some of the most spiritual Christians in the history of Christianity have those same battles that every single Christian has? Amen? Where you feel one day, man, it was such a good day. Oh, I feel like on top of the mountain and me and Jesus, just we had a good time. And two days later saying, what a rotten excuse of a Christian you are. How could you have said that to them? How could you have thought that? Why, why did you say that to your wife or to your children? What, what, what were you thinking? You've been a Christian how long? And then you see some great Christian writing his diary. It's amazing. Uh, the gentleman, oh, I got a middle block right now, but had all the orphanages in England. Mueller, George Mueller, lived by faith. He started orphanages not because he cared for orphan kids, although he did, but he started orphanages to show England that you could live by faith. And so he had as high as 2,000 orphans, and he never sent out a letter asking for a thing. He never asked a man for one single thing. And yet in his diary, he would have days when he said, Why do I have so little faith? Why can I not trust my God who has been so faithful every single day? Why is my faith so shallow? And you think, boy, if his faith is shallow, what's mine? It just shows that the human experience is one of always doubting our relationship, not because we have any doubt whatsoever of God. The doubt is what we have of ourselves. So we must all come to that place where we realize We are saved by God's grace or we never will be. It is all of grace. There is no other alternative. Because the wages of sin, singular, is death, not plural. So he's saying, greater is he that is in you. That victory comes from God and him alone. I want to read this last quote. Uh, Victory, therefore, over all the forces of darkness and temptations may be sure. In his conflicts with sin, temptation, and error, the Christian should never despair, for God will ensure him victory. Never despair. I'm, I'm not saying don't go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. No, keep that up. That's for a relationship. But never despair in your humanity. Because it doesn't matter how Christian you become, you're still clothed with flesh. 
and the pull of the flesh will be constant and the and it's just waiting for you to ease up in your battle one day. Not to hold your shield of faith as high as it should. And there comes the fiery darts. Not to pick up the sword like you should. And there uh, you get hurt in the battle. That conflict will be all of our lives. But when we get to the place where we realize and we settle it, I'm saved by God's grace. Not because I'm a good Christian. Not because I go to church. Not because I sing in the choir. Not, not because I give. Not because, but, but I get to do those things because I'm saved by grace. Praise God. Now you can lift up your head high and go boldly to the throne of grace. Because you're not going in your strength, in your power, in your presentation. You're going because the Spirit of God lives in you. And you have overcome the world. Because Christ is in you. Verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. They belong to the world, not to God's Children, they are not of God's children, but they are the children of the world. Therefore, they speak of the world. It is not difficult to distinguish even among professed Christians and Christian teachers, those who are heavenly in their conversation and those who are influenced solely by the spirit of the world. Why? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You ever been around people who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you hear them talking and say, oh, boy, that's a different spirit. That's not, that's not what Christ taught you. That didn't come from God. I'm not saying that a Christian can't say something out of bounds, but I'm saying that if, that's, if all that comes out of them is worldliness, then that's the spirit of the world. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And the general tone of man's conversation will show in what spirit he is. And the Bible says, and the world heareth them. The people of this world, the frivolous ones, the rich, the proud, the ambitious, the sensual, receive their instructions and recognize them as teachers and guides, for their views are accord with their own. Why would people go listen to false teachers? Because they believe the same. They believe that error before they found that teacher. A professed Christian of any station in life may determine much about his evidence of piety, godliness, by asking himself what kind of persons desire your friendship, and who wishes to be your companion? Do godly people wish to be your companion or ungodly people? See, you can judge your, your godliness or your piety, spirituality, if you will, by looking at those who want to be close to you. This is what I found when, when dealing with teenagers, which when we first started Grandview Baptist Church, I, I was the teen director for many years. 
uh, because we had no other. And I would say to them, uh, they would say, well, when I get saved, then I have to leave my old friends? I said, no. All you have to do is live for Christ. They'll leave you. You won't have to say goodbye to anybody. They just won't hang around. Uh, in fact, all you have to do is just take your Bible and carry it to school. And the, it'll be like the, the Red Sea. The waters will part. <laughs> no, whoa, he's a Bible-carrying Christian. Better back off. See, you don't, have to, you don't have to say goodbye to friends. And that's true for a man in a factory or in an office. That's true for a lady at work. You, you take your stand for Christ and you're going to see some are attracted to you and some are repelled to you. I used to always say that if you'll, uh, to the men of their church, I used to say, if you'll take a, a New Testament with you and put it in your pocket and break time will come and you pull that New Testament out and you spend 10 minutes reading the word of God. I said, Christians will come out of the woodwork. There'll be people come up to you and they'll go like. That's a Bible, isn't it? You'll say, yeah. And they'll say, you're a Christian, aren't you? You'll say, yeah. Say, me too. But it won't be long before they'll bring their pocket New Testament. See, you have the ability to strengthen others by just taking your stand for Christ. And if you'll take a stand for Christ, you'll be surprised how many Christians will gather around you and be challenged by your faith. And that's why it's so important that we do what, what's right. Uh, the Bible says... Uh, let your light shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which art in heaven. John chapter uh, 4 verse 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It says we are of God. Now John is, is taking for granted him and the apostle Paul as well that no one doubted or, or signified or even insinuated that any of the apostles were not of God. Even the Apostle Paul frequently refers to the same thing respecting himself. When he calls himself a spokesman for God, there was no one that said uh, he's not. And so what he's saying is, if if we are speaking as God's uh, spokesman, then those who are of God hears us. And since the apostles were used of God to write down in holy scriptures, then those who speak the word of God, teach the word of God, share the word of God, are heard by people who are of God. Of God. It is not common for unsaved people just want to go to church. But let me say, 
that unsaved people will go to church if a friend asks them. If a friend asks them to go to church. Studies have showed that 85% of unchurched people would go to church if a friend asked them to be their guest. That's a pretty amazing percentage, isn't it? So everyone won't, but people will. And 15 of the people who came during the Christmas program on Friday and Sunday morning, 15 of them trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they came as guests of our church members. So if you will invite people, most of them will respond. And let me say one thing you're going to find every single Sunday, we're going to share the gospel. I don't care if we're preaching on the uh, Noah and the ark, we're not going to finish without sharing how to get in the ark by faith. Uh, We might be talking about creation, but we're going to tell how uh, Jesus Christ created salvation and made it available for us through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So if people will invite people to church, they are going to hear the gospel. And the Bible says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God. Yeah, but these people might not like the way we sing or the way we do this or the way we do, and they might not. But when you share the gospel, it's empowered by God. And you can't say no to the Spirit of God without resisting the Spirit of God. Because he's going to try to get a home into your heart. That's what the Spirit of God's wanting to do. He wants everyone to come to faith in Christ. And he's going to be working on every single unchurched person who's under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so ought all Christians... All of us ought to be conscious of the fact that we listen to the truth, we obey the truth. He that knoweth God heareth us. We know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error. We can distinguish those who embrace the truth from those who do not. What pretensions they might set up for piety, godliness. It is clear that if they did not embrace the doctrines taught by the true apostles of God, they could not be regarded as his friends, that is, true Christians. So you have to believe in the uh, deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to believe in the substitutionary death. He died for you. You have to believe in the bodily resurrection. He rose triumphant from the tomb. Uh, You have to believe that if you will ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, he will save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. And that's true today. And so John is speaking to the church here about the spirit of truth and spirit of error. And he says, try the spirits, whether or not they are of God. Because everyone who says they are of God are not of God. Try those spirits.
It's so important. When the clearest evidence of godliness is a readiness to receive all that God has taught in his word. Let's always make sure it's the word of God we hold and elevate. Not a person, not a personality, not a pastor, not a teacher, but God's word. Let's take that to heart. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. I know I'm speaking to the choir here. I believe you have a godly hunger for God or you would not have come to a Wednesday night service. You no doubt had a busy day. But you came because you love the Lord and you love his truth and you heareth God and you want to hear what God has to say. But you still have a challenging life and it doesn't mean the devil doesn't try to trip you up. It doesn't mean the flesh doesn't try to drag you down. And we see Christians, good Christians all around us who get tripped up and inevitably it's our turn and we find that we ourselves get tripped up in some form or some fashion. But what we learn today is we are overcomers because the Spirit of God lives in us. We are saved not by our performance, but by what Jesus Christ performed on Calvary, what he did for us. So let us rest in that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge of your word. Thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, help us to try the spirits as we go into a day and in our lifetime and as the world continues where things are waxing worse and worse and many are saying, I am Christ, I am a spiritual leader, I am this or that. But Lord, let our ears be on you to listen And let our eyes be focused on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And let us rest in the grace that you give us and rejoice in salvation all the way to heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you. And we are dismissed.